Without getting too much into the weeds of what a lament psalm is, you can probably tell a lament psalm is meant to uh, express deep distress, upsetness, sadness, sorrow. Um, and in particular, this particular psalm is about the destruction of Jerusalem. The people are in exile in Babylon, and they are remembering how Jerusalem has been destroyed. And not only is it that Jerusalem's been destroyed, but they have been taken from their homes. Everything that they know is gone. Everything that is them as a people is gone. And they find themselves in distress and sorrow. Now, there's a little bit of high emotional, almost hyperbole in this, but it's also meant to express this deep, deep, deep sadness of the authors to help the people to reflect back on the sadness that it is to have lost this great thing that is Zion, Jerusalem, their capital, their homelands, their people group all of the things they have lost and all the things that it represents that have been lost. And so the people are singing this song in deep sorrow and also singing to God in deep sorrow. It's been a fun week in the United Methodist Church. It's been a super... <laughs> Ian, back there, if you was right there in the middle of it. Um, it the United Methodist Church did some... Um, I don't really have words for what the United Methodist Church did this week. Um, we've never been the nicest church when it came to issues of human sexuality, of LGBTQ people's lives. We've never been the best church at addressing these things, of talking about these things. In fact, as we started this whole conference, which was entirely about LGBTQ people in the church, we took a whole half a day and we prayed and not a single person mentioned the lives of LGBTQ people. The whole reason we are there, we couldn't stop and pray for the people that we were trying to kick out. And there's a lot of emotion right now because we voted that we should kick out all of the LGBTQ people and all of the people who support them and anyone who wants to do anything remotely progressive in the church because that is not our traditional way. Okay, so maybe I'm also using a little hyperbole here now too, but it's how I feel. I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm mad because my church that I love is trying to kick people that I love out. And I don't like it because it's wrong. They have come to Jerusalem. They have torn down my city. And now I am on the banks of the river in Babylon and I am crying in distress. And they're mocking me. Here's the door. Look, it's just a door I've graciously opened for you to walk through. I'm not kicking you out. I'm just inviting you to leave. Because that makes it so much better if you just invite me to leave. No, I'm a little angry. I'm a little emotional. I want to say that anger is the only emotion I feel, but I feel sorrow and I feel hurt. I feel anger that so many people are hurting right now. That the church has caused such great harm 
that there are so many stories of people who are feeling lost, like they've lost their spiritual home. So many people who are struggling to find their place because they don't feel like they have a place anymore. People asking, can I go back to my church on Sunday? Am I going to belong? It's been a terrible week in the United Methodist Church. But there's hope. I have hope because, partly because I believe those who stood for the traditional plan did a really bad job at General Conference of getting anything done, because most of the stuff they passed, God willing, is going to be deemed unconstitutional because it's already been deemed unconstitutional before they passed it. Thank God we won't necessarily have all of these terrible things, God willing. But that aside, that means the process has to work normally. Setting aside the normal process, I have hope for a very, very good reason. Because sometimes when you poke the bear, the bear wakes up. And I see people who are waking up and finally saying, I'm not just going to stand in the middle. I'm not okay with what they just did. I may not have been always theologically in the same camp as the progressives in the church, but what they just did, what the traditionalists just did to the church, is not okay. And I don't want to be a part of that. Sometimes there's an opportunity in the church for us to stand up and speak. To say that God's love is for everyone. God has been calling people from the very beginning of Scripture to speak love into the world in all kinds of ways, through all kinds of people, and ultimately through Jesus. But God has always called people to stand up. We have this phrase that we say a lot in seminary, for such a time as this. I mean, we say it a lot in church, but I really said it a lot in seminary. For such a time as this. Sometimes it's a really beautiful phrase because we're like, for such a time as this, I am here. And this is a beautiful thing. And sometimes it is, for such a time as this, I am here to do something important because something needs to be said. Something needs to be done. And so I am here today to do this thing. Sometimes being a prophet means doing something that you never thought you'd do, never expected to do. There's a great story in the Bible about a prophet who strips off all his clothes and goes running through the streets naked as he prophesies. It's a really just, it's a funny story because you just imagine this prophet running through the streets naked, proclaiming God's proclamations to the people. And he's naked. I mean, it got people's attention. People were paying attention. Sometimes being a prophet is taking on something that sets you apart. One of the things that they used to do in the early uh, or in the, in the Jewish culture, when they would mourn, when, um, there would be a ceremonial kind of tearing of your garments, 
putting on sackcloth, wearing ash. It's why we, it's part of why we do ashes for Ash Wednesday, which is, by the way, next Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. National UMC. We're going to have a service for anyone's interested. I'm preaching again, so, you know, tonight's really hits you right. Um, I really did just advertise my own. Wow, that's okay. Uh, it's been that kind of week. Um, sometimes I make jokes because I'm, I need to pull myself back and not be so uh, emotionally. Um, so part of the reason I bring that up too is because I did something today. Maybe not something I never thought I would do because actually I started thinking about it in high school. Started when I was in high school, I thought about getting a tattoo. You know when you're 18 and you can finally legally get a tattoo and everybody thinks about getting a tattoo? Um, I definitely thought about getting a tattoo and I'm really, 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 really glad I didn't. Because also when, when you're 18, sometimes you don't think things through. At least this is my experience of me being 18. I didn't think things all the way through. And the tattoo that I would have gotten would have been this really popular thing that was popular for about six months which was uh, getting Chinese characters. This was around the same time as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out. Everybody was getting like little Chinese characters. Really funny story, because most of the, or not most of, some of the time, what people thought that the Chinese characters said weren't at all what they said, which is hilarious, because it's on your body forever. But like I said, it was, it was a popular thing for about six months. Thankfully, I didn't actually get it, because it was popular for about six months. Uh, then as I got into college, I thought about getting another tattoo. Um, I got involved in my campus ministry, and faith became definitely a center point in my life. And I was like, well, of course, if I'm going to get a tattoo, I'm going to get a tattoo of a cross. But then I never could find the right cross. Because, you know, every once in a while, I would be motivated, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. I gotta, just got to find the right one. And I'd, I'd, I'd do Google searches. I'd look through, and like, what's the perfect cross? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're just going through, and you're like, well, that's nice. I don't hate it. I I, oh, I like that one. I like it. But do I love it? Do I love it enough to put it on my body for the rest of my life? And it was that way, in the back of my head, every so often I'd think about getting a tattoo. And for the most part, now that I'm, so I'm going to be 36 in two weeks, it's been a long time since I really was seriously considering getting a tattoo, but every once in a while it would come up. And then last week, as we were ramping up for general conference, it hit me. I know what I have to do. And so I went down to the tattoo parlor last Friday and kind of made an appointment, told them what I was thinking about getting, and they're like, oh yeah, we can do that. That's, yeah, that'll be good. And email me some pictures of what you're thinking. I'll have a sketch ready when you come in. Made an appointment. First appointment I could get was today at 1 o'clock. And so I made the appointment, paid my deposit. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I don't know, maybe it'll be fun. Um, so then I had general conference happen. <laughs> and why I say then general conference happened is because I didn't necessarily set up to do something that I felt was prophetic as much as I thought it was something that represented me. And so I, I sat down in the chair today to get this tattoo, and it was suddenly a prophetic thing that I was doing. It's something that says to the world, when I go and sit in front of the bishop on Saturday when she explains to us everything that happened at General Conference, 
I'm going to have this tattoo showing. This tattoo is of a cross with rainbow stripes in it. Because as a member of the Queer Clergy Caucus, I get to now, everywhere I go, show through my rainbow cross to most people in the world, they're going to kind of figure out what that means. It looks like a pride cross. I can show you pictures after the service. I really like it. Um, Why did I do that? Why did I get this cross? I don't think I really... It was just something that hit me that I decided I wanted to do, partly because it was mad because the things that were coming to General Conference, that we were going to even have this conversation. But now to me, it's this sign. It's this prophetic sign. It's putting on the sackcloth. It's putting on the ash. It's a sign that I am saying to the world and to the church, not only am I a Christian, but I'm also gay. And I'm going to carry these two identities together forever. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what votes you take, you can't take that away. You can kick me out of the church. You can take my clergy credentials. You can tell me I'm a sinner going to hell, and I will still be a Christian, and I will still be gay. And so now, I carry this sign of hope on my arm. This prophetic sign of hope. And so now when I am down on the banks, when I'm on the river weeping and crying, and I am filled with rage or sorrow or anger or any of the motions of lament that come up in this psalm that we just read, I can look down and I can see the hope. And I carry that hope with me always.